What's up, everyone? I'm Christian John, and this is Rock My Life Halftime. Yes, we are back and we are so excited to bring you more gossip, games and of course, discuss current gay and rugby topics with your four favourite gay rugby boys. This week, we are live in London as the boys were finally able to meet up in person after lockdown. But we still had to socially distance, so please excuse the varying sound quality. But We had so much fun celebrating the return of Halftime Season 2. So sit back and enjoy as Matt, Justin, James and I bring you Rock My Life Halftime. So welcome to season two. So how are we? We all know that James is now well and truly married off and Justin's in a long-term relationship. (laughs) Matt's bought a new place in Manchester and me, well, I'm just the same really, aren't I? But no, James, you are now dating or back into dating, however you wanted to call it now. (laughs) And Justin, you are... Going on dates. Going on dates. With, yeah, someone. And Matt, you have actually moved into a new place in Manchester. How are you finding it? I have. Uh, I love it. It's great. Me and my partner have moved in together. And uh, yeah, it's stressful. It's very posh though, isn't it? It's very posh. It uh, looks lovely. I absolutely love it. It's amazing. Are you in like the tallest? Because there's like four of them now, isn't there? One's really tall and they yeah. go smaller. So the tallest one is like bought. And I'm like, I- I'm a nurse. I don't have the wage to buy in the city centre. Uh, so I'm renting. Like, we're renting the second tallest tower. Fabulous. So but the great. views are stunning, aren't they? Because oh. you posted them already. Mm. It's amazing. amazing. So, so And then we've got the gym and the pool, like, right next door. I can just go round after a shift. Amazing. Oh. And we were supposed to recording this about an hour before, but James's date was with us before. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was lovely. We got to meet him. It's been a while since... I mean, we've only seen him on Instagram, really, with his love heart. But he was here <laughs> in person. And his bleached hair, but, you know... And it was, yeah, it was a good look. I liked it. I it liked it. Yeah. It was yeah, a good look. Yeah, I like it. Well, James sent us a, a picture of how he would look with bleached hair this week. <laughs> and I'm not a fan. I um, was no. in love with it. You oh. were. You were like, yes, girl, yes. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, oh my God, am I going to be the enemy? Am I so bad to be like, girl, really? No. I sent, I sent, it to, I sent the same picture to my mum. And <laughs> the reply I got back was, like, she was sat with her best friend at the time. And the reply was, Gillian Mike loves it. To which I wrote a phone video chat and later to go, like, just come, calm her down, <laughs> like, reassure her that it wasn't actually Bond. Um, and she was like, thank God. <laughs> like, me, like, looking at me, like, with disbelief, and her friend was just going, and her friend's like, I thought it was lovely. Your mother was white as a sheet. I'm like, with Gillian on this, I thought it was lovely. But... Yeah, I, I looked at it immediately thought, like, You've not even dyed the grey hairs, though. <laughs> this, this isn't true. 
detective Matt there. Right? <laughs> salt and pepper still there. I'm it's so not thankful. Really sunny in that picture, but it's sunny outside. That's not now. So now <laughs> I then realise it's my profile picture just with blonde hair. Yeah, I, I, I can figure out a thing. I don't think it was that I'm bad. I'm just too gullible. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go blonde, but I don't think it was that bad. If I did decide to go through a midlife crisis and... Aren't you already in your midlife crisis? I will cut you. <laughs> <laughs> but we are recording live from London because we've all travelled down to see our dearest and nearest Justin. Yes! So Justin, how has it been living in London over the past couple of weeks? Uh, I have been sweating buckets because it has been very, very warm. Um, obviously the heat wave wasn't very nice, but... Um, saying that, it's been a confusing time living in London because I still don't know many places. I still get lost. I mean, today I got lost trying to get you guys to the hotel. Um, I had to rely on my yes, maps. <laughs> so, but apart from that, it's been very fun. Um, things are starting to get back to a bit normal now. So, you know. Which yeah. is good because Manchester has gone into its second lockdown, which means that we can't go into other people's places of home. We can't go into private gardens, but we can still go into bars and restaurants and now apparently cinemas and theatres, which makes total sense. Um, and rugby, thank God, is starting to go mm-hmm. in the right oh, direction. Really? We're allowed to go into groups of 30 now. Still no contact, so I was swallowing a sweet. We have got like a little bucket of sweets from one of our promoters that we will talk about later. But <laughs> yeah, rugby is going in the right direction. We still can't do contact, but we are allowed to do touch rugby, which is good for agility. It's good for talking about ball handling skills. And being touched. Well, we're not, well, <laughs> we weren't allowed to be touched, but I think we can sort of be touched, but within one bubble. You can't then yeah. swap the bubbles. It's really complicated, you know, like, you know, typical Boris, nothing's ever easy. Mm-hmm. But we are in London and we are celebrating this evening and we've yes. already had a little cheeky, cheeky, Vino, cheeky gin. Mm-hmm. So uh, forgive us if this conversation goes a little bit sour later on, and it won't be just the sweets <laughs> or James's ass. <laughs> explicit button to be impressed today, is absolutely. <laughs> but speaking of James's ass, we are talking about online dating at the moment, and we want to talk about people's views of it because obviously a lot of us use it. A lot of the listeners use dating apps and things like that, or on online services. And we want to know whether it's a good thing or whether it's something that we should avoid because some people have positive outcomes, some people have negative outcomes. Justin, what do you want to say on the topic? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you all know how I feel about dating apps. Um, it is a great tool to meet people, but I think it's a double-edged sword because once you start meeting people, um, when you start to develop further, you start to see this as a... Um, problem in a sense that you know you still see them on dating apps what do you think they're doing on dating apps are they you know exploring other opportunities out there are they exploring other options thinking they could find better options out there and um that's what causes the issue for me and you know what i'm big on romantic i wish i'll have like a really cute meet cute like you know someone grabbing orange juice for me from like the top shelf in the supermarket ask for my number and then go from there but it doesn't happen like that um which is a real shame. But for me, I think internet dating is a very dangerous double-edged sword. I think internet dating just brings the worst in, in you. Yeah. <laughs> it brings <laughs> it the worst. Psycho Justin appears. <laughs> like, when you get on Grinder and it's just uh, a red haze. Mm. When you find out someone's still on Grindr, you're like... Pfft. 
<laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like you have to go into it with certain expectations. You can't go into it thinking it's going to be, you know, your Cinderella happy ever after. Yeah. Like, you go in thinking, okay, there's a lot of hot guys in here, but you've also got to take it with a pinch of salt, thinking that there's a lot of people that are just out there to have fun, or just to chat, or, you know, to catfish and take pictures of you and it's not really you, and, yeah. and then decide that you're someone from... Saudi, who is 40 and who's a top. <laughs> and an engineer who's six foot tall. <clears throat> Christian. Exactly. I was more offended that he was a top, let alone anything else. But, James, what is your definition oh, of dating I'm apps? I'm probably one of the only ones here that's old enough to remember what it was like before the days of Grindr and when it was all, well, basically, at most, it was a website. So things like your gay dars, your gay.com, lads, lads. What? Uh, what? Even, yeah, get me, you don't even remember how to use fit lads. What's the internet? Uh, so, yeah, what? So, um, so I remember those websites and things like that where it was just like you look at the profiles and things like that and it's so much easier now to go on to the apps and just find out who's nearby you. Um, obviously, ideally, you'd want to meet them off of the apps because you want to meet people more like authentically. But I think at the moment, it's like the new norm really, isn't it? In terms of most people, whether you're straight, gay, bi, whatever, is you generally meet people online now. That is... I think more couples are meeting that way now, whereas back in the day, you would have said, if someone went, how did you meet? No way would you have said, have we met over Grindr? It wasn't socially, not really socially acceptable. Now you'd say, like, yeah, we met on, we met on the G. <laughs> we met on the G. <laughs> we met on the G. <laughs> the G being the G. Grindr. Not the drug. Oh my God. We do not. Some people maybe have done that. We do not promote <laughs> the use of drugs. But um, met, met on Grindr or Yellow Facebook, whatever you want to call it, I like that, whatever people Yellow want to Facebook. call it, the app. <laughs> Some people say um, there are other apps, not just Grinder. I should add to this. <laughs> <laughs> but do you feel like sometimes it it may have reduced people's confidence to be able to go out and meet people, you know, the the sort of traditional way you might speak into bars and things because. I mean, it's been a long time since I've been on a date, but I don't think now I could go into a bar and just talk to someone that I've never met. But that was the kind of way it used to be. You would go to like places of of gay safety places, like gay bars and things like that, gay cafes, gay libraries, whatever. And you would just like talk to someone and chat to them and you wouldn't know who they are. And I feel that today's generation is very comfortable meeting and, and talking to people who they've never met, but they've got a profile picture. But then if you go into a bar cafe, they, they would feel really yeah. uncomfortable doing that. How do you feel? So I think it's like, yeah, well, everyone's a bit of a keyboard warrior now, aren't they? So you get people who, like, you got all the trolls, people like that. Like, you get, you get some weird, like, so like, for example, one of my experiences, I had a guy who, who obviously lived near me, who <laughs> sent me loads, like, sent me, like, really, really horrible message, like, oh, you, oh, it wasn't horrible, it was just, weird and he's like oh you're really ugly and I was like oh, oh okay. I was like okay whatever and just ignored it then he thought like you shouldn't wear shorts you've got ugly legs or something like that um, but then I feel like about three messages later after I just kept ignoring it it's like so do you want to meet up <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like and I think he'd forgot like he must have been deleting his messages or something like that he'd forgot he'd been talking to me and he, by this point he'd also then added a picture onto his profile and things like that and I was just like no. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, you get your keyboard warriors now, and I think I think generally it says a lot of our, our generation now is we're a lot more about on our phones and stuff like that. So we don't. Mm. So some, I think we do lose a lot of our social skills in terms of 
like back in the day at a bar, you'd be like, oh, are they checking me out? Am I checking them out? The prolonged eye contact sort of stuff, like that where indicators if people are interested. I sound really old. That is true. Those are the days, like, like, like when I first started going out, you, you weren't just looking on Grinder to see who's about, things like that. And like, you weren't disappearing on nights out to go and get, like, to go and for a shag or whatever. I was going to say chips and cheese, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but even when we were walking sure, through yeah. Covent Garden, like you were saying, oh my God, that guy was checking you out. He was not making it subtle at all. Mm. I had no idea. Like I, it just was completely oblivious. And I was like, if someone's checking me out, I'd be like, oh, grind it. Oh, let's let. He's not on the G. He's not on the, the G. G. <laughs> I hope he's not on the G. He didn't have you on the G. Maybe that was why he was being su- wasn't being subtle. It was on the G. Mm. Matt, what do you think? Well, I met my partner not on an app. I have had partners in the past that I've met through like Tinder and Grinder and mutual friends. Um, but we met like a very neat cute because we had the same hobby, playing rugby. So that's how we met and we got together. <laughs> I think it's a tool to be used there, but it shouldn't be relied upon. I think we, I don't really know why we rely upon it because there are other ways of doing it. But I think it's potentially ease, convenience, you know, we all live busy lives and it's just, it's just easier for us to go online and if we just want a quick shag, we can go, you know, tap, 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 set up a meet or, you know, if you want to go on a date, you have a bit of a conversation with someone and it's that simple. Whereas actually putting yourself out there face to face with someone, approaching them in a bar or going to a social setting like, uh, you know, a club or a, a class or something you have a mutual interest in and approaching them and speaking to them is scary like it is very scary and self-esteem is a massive issue well documented amongst the gay community and I think that's probably why we so heavily rely on apps because of that it's it's easier it's convenient and we don't have to face rejection head on and I think from another perspective is when you're younger and you're first coming out back in the day to find people that were like you or similar you'd have to go to the bars and there was always that chance of being discovered and there was that risk where now you can go on you can do it on your phone you can look and find people who are like you nearby it's not always the best way but if for some people it's like that little confidence boost that then maybe oh well we'll actually try and maybe go in more into the scene or whatever and see um, and meet people that way so it could be a stepping stone I, just, I do think people do become over-reliant on it now. Um, I know previously I've used it when I've just been bored, just sat at home, just flicking through, um, things like that. Um, so, but yeah, I do think it can have its good points in terms of like someone who's not comfortable yet to come out into the scene or worries about being exposed uh, to other people. Using the app could be a way forward of that. But yeah. So. Yeah, I, th- I think there's lots of pros and cons. Yeah. That you could lift and weigh. It's like I mean, all technology. It's yeah, exactly. I mean, can be abused easily. You've got you know predators, you know underage kids and things yeah. that can can use this. You know they can access it and things like that. So there are negatives, there are dangers, but there is to everything. You know, um, so I just think it's a, it's it's an additional tool, but we shouldn't rely yeah. on it. Yeah, you know, agree. it is possible to still meet people the traditional way you've just got to be you know courageous enough to go out and do it now speaking on the negative you were just saying like 
when I was younger, I was always told that when I was going on dates for the first time, that it's important to tell somebody where you're going, who you're meeting, where are you, and that kind of thing, and what time expected to be home. But with these apps and things, I don't know about you, but it's not something when I was dating that I would tell somebody, oh, by the way, I'm going to go meet this guy because I've just been chatting on him and he says this, this address. Is this something you've ever done? How do you feel about telling somebody, oh, by the way, I'm going on a date with this guy? Or do you feel that that's not really relevant anymore? Oh, I used to do it. I used to, t- like, I mean, I only really ever had Grindr when I was in Manchester in between relationships. Um, and I would tell my flatmate every single time I was going meeting someone, purely on the basis that I live in this big city um, that has dodgy areas and I'm going meeting someone that I've been chatting to online that I've never met face to face and I have no idea what I'm walking into. I'm taking that risk because they seem nice but they may just have really good chat and then want to kill me. Mm. So it's always good to let someone know if you can. Obviously the danger comes from when you are closeted or you don't want mm. people to find out and then you're not telling anyone and you're just disappearing and then you never return. Yeah. I, 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 I was like that when I was younger. And so I, like when I was growing up, I had nobody to tell. So when I st- first started trying to date men, things like that, I had no one to tell when I was going places. So very, very dangerous in those days and risky. Um, and like it's one of those things where I've always thought, oh God, I'm so lucky that nothing did happen. Because um, obviously I know the risks I did put myself out at the time. So... Because when I was younger, I like living with my parents. There was no way that I would have told them, oh, I'm going to go and have a booty call with someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> someone around the corner. I mean, like, they may have known, they may have not. But I always had this agreement with a friend that I grew up with that when I said to my friend, when I said to my parents, I'm going to go and meet. Well, no, I wouldn't say I'm going to go meet. I would say I'm going to go to X person. I'm not going to say his name. But I'll always say his name. i say, oh, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to watch movies with the I wouldn't be. I would be going to meet these guys that met on the apps. There's no way that I'd come out to my friends about, oh, I've just met this guy on Grindr or Scruff or whatever. Um, we're probably just going to shag and I'll be home within the next couple of hours or I'm going to go on a date with him. There's no way I would have said that to them. So I always use uh, an excuse, but I probably would have said to this person that was my friend at the time, I'm going to use you as an excuse because I'm going to go and meet this person. And I, I think I, once or twice I like screen grabbed the profile so that he knew. But there was no, like, my, I wouldn't want the judgment of my parents being like, well, hang on, who is he? How do you know him? Like, where did you meet him? And, and to say, oh, I just met him online. They wouldn't understand because they're from a completely di- different yeah. generation. They would never have agreed for me to go and meet these people. Not that they stopped yeah. me, but it was a very different time. But even when I was living on my own, I don't think personally I would have actually told anybody. I guess I was taking a risk, but I thought I was you know, mature enough to kind of see the alarm bells ringing. I don't but know. But do you think it's it's worth that? Or do you think the risk was worth that? Because, I mean... Sometimes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> depends. Um, but, I, I mean, like, maybe this is just me seeming very naive, but if you are afraid to tell your parents or your friends or someone you can rely on and trust, if you're afraid to tell them something that you're doing... Should you really be doing it? Is I think it depends. Like if I was living with a housemate who knew me very well, who was also doing the same sort of thing, we had like a sort of an arrangement where we would tell each other where we go. Absolutely. But, you know, if you're with someone that's just come out, perhaps you're like in halls or residence and there's like other straight people that might not understand the concept, it might be really difficult for you to kind of explain to them, you know, this is what 
the gay society in some aspects is like, this is what I'm about to do, they might judge you and, you and you might not want that judgment. Like when I was living with my parents, I didn't want that judgment. I didn't want this, you know, them magnifying everything that I, I did. So I made it very easy for them to know that I was safe, even when potentially I, I wasn't. But growing older, I think that you start to notice when things aren't quite right. Like if their address doesn't match where they say they are, where if they have like a, a faceless profile, you know, if they're not sending faceless pictures and it's just torsos and things like that, you start to think, well, hang on, this isn't quite right. There are certain alarm bells that, that ring. Um, and I know other people that have had horror stories where, you know, they've turned up and it's not the person that's in the pictures or, They've, in worst case scenarios, they've been like jumped or attacked or something because it's been a trap. But I guess it's the kind of the risk that you take because you're trusting that other person to be who they are and it's not always what you get. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I have heard a lot of, you know, Tinder horror stories. Uh, I mean, there was one going around Facebook that my friend showed me. It was even with um, this girl going on a date with this guy and then he drugged her and brought her back to hers. And then she fell asleep, passed out, but she woke up before the drug was supposed to sort of like last. And then she heard all these, like she came downstairs and she saw all these like plastic covers on her sofa and on her floor. There was a wooden table and a saw. So this is why I tell you guys whenever I, you know, I go on dates just because like, it's not even me just going off, you know, be like, oh my God, I'm getting on one. It's more like, someone at least knows where you're going and what you're doing yeah but even then like you say to us oh i'm going to go and see so and so i'm going to go and see so and so i'm going out with the date so so that name is just a name to us like it could be anybody they could have just made up that name it could be completely different person so i guess you've got to take that risk and if you i i wouldn't necessarily if you've just just spoken to them and they suddenly say come round." you're taking it into your own hands but if you've developed that conversation you start to get to know them unless they are that well connected that they know how to do it and lead it on that long then it's just a risk you're going to take just like you know if you go into a bar and start chatting to someone you don't actually know where they are you don't know their intentions they could they do could anything right? yeah. exactly i think ideally it's making sure when someone knows an idea that you are going somewhere or something you're going somewhere with someone i know it's not always realistic that that even does it but i think where possible you should try and do it i think that should be the takeaway message is try and make sure someone's aware that you're going somewhere i mean you know we joke about the thing but like i honestly would just happily do the whole you know hole in like the newspapers and sit down and watch you like i would happily do that and and to add on to going more on the positive sides again of uh, dating um over lockdown it's one of the only ways you've been able to date really so it's it's probably caused a lot of people to stop from getting lonely and things like that by getting to talk to other people online. Yeah. Uh, even doing yeah. virtual dates and things like that. Yeah. So. I'd say as well, yeah, like if you move to a new city, for example, yeah. Justin, you've yeah. used it quite a lot to meet new people, not necessarily for dates, but just to chat as well, because you've been on lockdown. Has it yeah. been useful for you? I mean, I have used, you know, the, in, you know, dating apps to see, you know, see who's around in the city. And, you know, if you do get on with someone, you can talk to them. And it does help make you feel a little bit more settled in the city. Um, and, you know, in terms of dating apps, guys, and, you know, video chatting when you go on dates, like, this is, that, you know, that has been really, really helpful because when you're not physically 
able to go on a date with someone. It's nice to actually, you know, set an environment where it's just you two talking about things. And it takes out the physical element, but also engages you to connect more on like an emotional and sort of like intellectual level. Because um, sometimes when you go on a date with someone, you know, you just look at them and you're like, oh my God, you're so fit. I can't really think about what to say to you right now. I just want to jump your bones kind of thing. Whereas if you take that element out of it, you can actually talk and get to know the person, so. Absolutely. This season, we are proudly supported by Gay Pride Shop UK, which is situated in Aflex in Manchester, and also online at gayprideshop.co.uk. Here you can buy all your favorite Pride products, such as flags, badges, face coverings, hats, socks. Basically, if it's got a rainbow on it, they will stock it. But not only that, a percentage of profits are shared with three LGBTQ plus charities, Albert Kennedy Trust, George House Trust, and Mermaids. This week they are giving away two pairs of Pride socks and all you have to do is like and follow their Instagram page and like our Instagram picture of the socks and comment below tagging your friends in. Winners will be chosen on the 19th of September 2020. That's Gay Pride Shop UK. to bring up a completely different topic but I want to ask you guys which aspect of your life are you the most competitive? Ooh. We're talking professionally, socially, physically, emotionally, like <laughs> sexually. <laughs> I'm, I'm most competitive about being psycho, like the most psycho out you of all of us. Yeah, um, and I'm like hands down winner. Clearly yeah, winning. Like... You out psycho as well. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, I think being... world records. <laughs> being Asian, though, it sounds really stupid. Is that an excuse? No, honestly, <laughs> being Asian, I've been brought up to be competitive in every single aspect of my life. Like, my mum, and well, my dad is actually a lot better than this, but my mum would just be, you know, expecting me to do well in comparison to other children of her, like, you know, of her friends. And um, that'll be in comparison to violin, piano, and, you know, work and, you know, subjects at school and how you're doing and all that jazz and you know, how fast can you swim. So it's just a lot of different aspects and your job, your job prospects, you know, these are things that Asian parents go back to their friends and talk about and they'll be showing off. It's like, you know, show up and be like, oh, my son can do this, can yours do that kind of thing. So... You know, yeah, I've been drilled to be competitive in a lot of things. Uh, but I think most competitive-wise, I would have to say Korea. That's the most sort of, like, notable... As in your job, not the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Korea. Yeah, as Korea. Not Cor- as not the country. No, not, not the country. Korea, not Korea. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, my job. Um, you know, the, the prestige that comes with the job and the money that you earn. You know, that's the thing they would expect the most and waste the most so you know for me that's the most competitive part and do you think that's like a, a cultural difference i definitely think there's a cultural influence on it um but at the same time i, I think it's just it's just one of them things that you know when people joke about asian tiger parents being all that it's just that but i do agree like in some aspects that your cultural identity and the fact that you are competitive in certain things it depends what family background, because if I was younger, I was 
I think I was struggling to be competitive, but my parents would be pushing all these things towards me. Like they wanted me to be a musician, then they wanted me to get into sport, then they wanted me to focus on my studies. And so like I struggled to identify what I was good at. I was never the best at anything because I'd, I felt like my parents were like shifting what I needed to concentrate on as I grew older. And to the point now where I kind of feel a little bit the same. So do I feel like I should focus all my energy on my career? Well, a lot of it, but then it depends. Like when I go into rugby mode, I'm very competitive in terms of that. And now we've got the AGM coming up yeah. where I feel I am competitive to go for certain roles. But then emotionally, I feel like I'm competitive because I want... No, that sounds wrong. But I don't want people to know who I am. But like I feel that when we do events and things like that, that is when my competitive streak yeah. comes out in terms of creativity because I want people to have a good time, I want people to enjoy themselves. And so it's it's different depending on what I want to do, my competitive streak will come out in different forms. What about you, James? Yeah, oh God, I am very competitive. Um, it's like the point where like, when I go swimming, I knock myself out purely because if someone comes past me in the lane, I feel like I then have to swim past them. Uh, it's like literally stupid things like that. I know it's absolutely ridiculous because like, it could have been like, I'm on like the, my 20th length and this person is their first one. So they're going as fast as they can because like, they're nice and fresh. I'm knackered, I'm thinking, I'm gonna catch you, I'm gonna catch them. <laughs> so things like that. So I'm, I'm just uber um, competitive in pretty much a whole aspect of my life, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, things like the gym stuff now, like I'm as competitive just out to see if I can beat where I'm doing. Like mainly competitive with myself these days, but like if I start seeing someone doing a trick, that a trick on the, on the uh, Olympic rings, I'm like, I need to learn how to do that. And I've got, I'll then focus trying to do that so I can do it as well as they can. James so. has learned tricks with rings. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew them all. <clears throat> but I know what you mean. Like, if I'm in the gym, it depends. If I've got like my PT with me and he'll say like, oh, I bet you can't do this or you won't be able to do this. I'm like, bitch, watch me. And I'll be able to lift it or I'll be able to push it or whatever. But if I was on my own, and I saw another guy lifting like, I don't know, 40 kilograms and I'm only doing 30, I'll be like, oh, well, you know, that's his life. I'm, I'm just going to like casually do my own thing. It's not going to motivate me. But then if somebody tells me, oh, I bet you can't do it, I will quite happily prove them wrong. Now, Mike, you've got quite a competitive job in your sense. So do you feel like your competitive comes out then or is it different times? I do, I do but I don't, think, I don't think I'm a very competitive person. I think I try and do my best and so long as I'm happy uh, and proud of myself and proud of the people that care about me, you know, that, that, that they're happy for me, then I, I don't really mind if I'm doing the best or if I'm sizing up to other people and things like that. I, I think possibly I am the most competitive with my emotions. Like, I, I am trying too hard to be happy, I think, and I try and put so much stress on myself to have a perfect relationship um, to make me happy, be in the right job that makes me happy, you know, earn enough money so that I can do things that make me happy. I don't care about what it is that I'm earning so long as I'm, you know, happy in that aspect. And I think it's very counterproductive in the fact that trying to be happy then makes you unhappy. Um, and one of uh, my colleagues at work, we, we had a bit of a debrief from the recent uh, pandemic where we sort of went through uh, critical and trauma response because, 
you know, we're all suffering from a bit of PTSD at the moment. Um, and it's that whole point of, I'm still quite young, I'm 25, I shouldn't be chasing my life when I should just let myself live it, basically. Um, and what will happen will happen. You know, I do have uh, a, a very lovely boyfriend and we've got now living in a lovely flat and I've got a stable job. We're, we're in, you know, a, a time of economic recession. So I am very thankful for what I've got and I'm quite happy with where I am. Um, I would be happier if I had more plants. <laughs> you plan no. gay. So I'm um, just a plant. You're not dad. allowed anymore. It's becoming I like Jumanji in that flat. I want more. <laughs> but what I want to know, Matt, are you happy? You kept saying, oh, you want to be happy. Are you happy? I think I will be when I achieve what I want to achieve. And, and what is that? At the minute, I want um, to be set up in my flat. I want to get through this pandemic and still have, you know, some shred of mental health and then I think I, I'll be happy, you know. A um, couple of years down the line, potentially look at getting further up, you know, progressing my career, potentially progressing my relationship. But, yeah, I think I'm happy. I'm on my way to being there, I think. <laughs> So it kind of sounds like the lockdown has, has, has been a good thing for us to focus on ourselves and, and on what makes us happy and to work on that. But do you think that there is too much emphasis on society, in society, of us being happy? Do you think if you are not succeeding, if you are not being happy and you show this image of the perfect life on social media or when you're out and about, do you think that you know, that is adding stress to our lives if you can't achieve that level of happiness. I mean, what I was going to add before, that we're all very lucky in the fact that none of us have actually lost our jobs mm -hmm. because of lockdown. And there are a lot of people out there who might be listening that have lost their jobs and it's, it's devastating for them. And from my partner who is in a position that may have to make people redundant, it's, it's, it's soul-destroying for him. Like, he's coming back from home every other week being like, I've had to let someone else go, I've had to let someone else go, and it's destroying him. Um, so I guess in the sense of portraying to the world that you are still happy, I guess it's kind of two sides to a coin. Like on one side, you are trying to show the world, look, be positive, because everybody responds to positivity. On social media, whenever there's a negative, there's a lot of social, the social norm to look the other way. And we need to get past that to realise that when somebody is putting something on that is negative, yes, some people might say it's a cry for help. But if it is a cry for help, then we need to respond and we need to communicate a lot more and talk about our feelings. And if somebody is sad, then we need to help them and not shy away from it or ignore it because we're too busy trying to post on Instagram or Facebook that, you know, we've managed to get away to fucking Mykonos or Spain or <laughs> wherever they've managed to get Tell to me. because that's not, not that the point bitter, <laughs> it is, it is, I'm not bitter yeah. um, but that's my prerogative that you know we need to concentrate on our group our social group our family our friends to bring us all out of this lockdown together I say as you were saying there about positivity I think uh, I think there's like a statistic or something like 
there's a, oh, there's a saying that basically for every one negative, you need like seven positives to outweigh that negative. Because neg- as humans, we generally are, we focus on negatives um, rather than the positive. So I, I think more positivity, the better, basically. There's so much negativity. You've got the trolls and people like that we talked earlier. And I think it's, it is good to display a side of positivity. However, at the same time, stressing about being happy is so counterproductive it's ridiculous so i feel like if you're in that position where you're feeling you're having to show everyone you're happy you need that reflect you need to sit back and reflect and go well am i happy and then that's it being happy for the sake of other people isn't productive i don't feel i think it's very very uh an intrinsic thing it's very very personal so what makes you happy is it should be about you it shouldn't be about other people yeah. so yes by all means if you are generally happy and you want to show people by all means go and do that um but don't try and be happy for people i think that it should be you should be reflecting on well what does make me happy go back to those basics on right i'm doing this do i want to do this uh will this make me feel happy will it yeah, how am I going to feel when I do this? That sort of stuff, rather than forcing yourself to do something that is purely for appearance. Well, it's a definition of happy, isn't it? Like, to pe- well, different people have different definition of happy. For me, like, a happy Friday night would just be me sat in my bed playing PS4, having pizza. Like, I would be perfectly content. So, you don't need to sort of accommodate and adhere to the social normal like socially normalized standard of what is happy like a successful career a great group of friends you're always out drinking like you know going on holidays that's not your happiness it could very well be but it doesn't have to be you just have to have your own happiness know what is that makes you happy stick to that if you're happy sitting at home knitting and having a poo at the same time do it like, do what makes you happy. You don't need to... I love that to... connection. <laughs> of all the things. Knitting and having a poo. Such, <laughs> such an insight into Justin's life. I mean, I do knit when I'm pooping, so, you know. Never wear my scarves. <laughs> <laughs> Too much information. What about you, man? Well, I, I mean, I have the, the attitude where, it, it, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Mm. Yeah. You know, and... You do see people portray these perfect lives, very positive out there. And it does help some people, you know, they strive towards that as inspiration, you know, body goals and all that malarkey. But I also think that you shouldn't be looking at what other people are doing. You shouldn't be matching yourself in that competitive arena and look more towards achieving your own happiness from that, you know. And if you're not okay then that's fine. You know, if you're not happy, that is fine. You know, there's, there's quite a You can't big... be happy all the time. You can't be exactly. happy all the time. Exactly. You're going to have times when you're down. Yeah. It's got yeah. peaks and troughs. You'll have moments. And I think it's where it depends on what aspect of your life you're focusing on. For, you know, example, overall, I am happy. But if you talked about, like, body confidence and things like that, no, I'm not happy about my body confidence at the moment. Mm-hmm. If you talk to people about finance, they might have lost their job. No, they're not happy about that. But they've got their health, They've got their family around them. So I guess it depends on what aspect you're talking about. But generally, we do need to support each other. And like you said, yeah. the, some people hide behind this visage of Facebook and Instagram. 
And I think we need to take it with a pinch of salt because a lot of the time that we follow these people who have these amazing lives, well, actually, the photos are recycled from a year ago. They might not look the way they are. They might not have that confidence that they did then. And also, they might have insecurities that we don't know about, and they're using that as a front. And so I don't think we should necessarily use other people's lives to rate our own happiness. I think, for me, the thing that I've, like, lockdown sort of helped me is, like, it's okay to be a little bit selfish sometimes and think about yourself. It's Obviously, it's lovely to think about others and help others, and by all means, not saying don't do that, but self-care is just as important, and it's like... And that's the part of thing I've come to realise over lockdown is that I need to actually focus a bit more on myself a little bit. And since doing that, that's where I'm just feeling like I'm coming into my own. I'm feeling a lot more confident. I'm talking to people much better, much more better. Um, English is yeah. still, English <laughs> still improving. Yes, so. <laughs> English is still improving, obviously. Um, you wouldn't think of a teacher. Mm. <laughs> um, I was a PE teacher. Um, <laughs> Uh, not a PE teacher. master's. Yeah. Master, a master's degree. Uh, um, but yeah, I think generally having that, that revelation that actually it's okay to be a little bit selfish sometimes and put yourself first is been really key for me and my own personal growth and things like that. And I think, you know, if, you know, we weren't in lockdown and whatnot, I'm just thinking back to, you know, our new clubhouse, the Spartans new clubhouse um, that was built, you know, last year. Um, there were posters all around in that building saying, you know, if you you see a teammate that is quiet on the side of the pitch, quiet at training, think, you know, approach them and whatnot. It's that tackle the stigma of, mm. you know, your mental health that yeah. is okay yeah. not to be okay. And rugby in of, of itself, I mean, we know each other through rugby um, and we've become such good friends from that, that, you know, you have that support network from your teammates who are also your close friends. Now, in the main segment of today's conversation, we are talking about the issue that has come up in the news recently. And for those of you that have listened to the Rock My Life podcast before, we are talking about the fact that World Rugby has suddenly announced that they have a challenge with the fact of transgender men and women playing rugby. Now, the prominent thing that's coming out is the fact that uh, transgender women are not allowed to be playing union rugby without certain regulations. So we want to talk about how we feel about that and if there's any issues that we feel may need to be addressed before this becomes a world decision. So, Matt, do you want to carry on with this? Yeah, so um, it, it was a big story when it first came out. I think, I think it was a 38-page document that was leaked from World Rugby about how they were going to ban, as in complete blanket ban on transgender women um, playing rugby. There, there are no regulations for transgender men um, at the moment, as far as I'm aware, but it was a blanket ban. Currently, they follow the International Olympic Committee guidelines, which is 12 months of testosterone suppression therapy, so that you know it's a reduction in muscle mass for redu- reduction of risk to the players. Now, I have an issue with that already, but those were the guidelines from November 2015. Um, but I think the actual blanket ban of transgender women is, is ridiculous. Um, and there's been a lot of um, angry comments and a lot of uh, protests about it. And I, 
I'm hoping, because it's going to be October, November, when World Rugby actually look a bit more into new guidelines and, and the actual decision uh, that they may change their mind and may look at evidence, because this has all come around from a Swedish peer-reviewed study, a singular study, that showed that the testosterone suppression therapy after 12 months didn't show a substantial decrease in muscle mass, which if the International Olympic Committee are applying this to several different sports, I don't understand why World Rugby are going off a singular study and wanting to make their own guidelines from this. Um, even on our own team, we have very small, slight players and very large, tall, strong players. And just that size difference in of itself, the muscle mass, bone density, height, strength, is you would think there'd be a risk there, but if you're looking at transgender women, I mean, there are some women that play, well, I say some women, all women who play professional rugby would knock me out if they tackled me. You know, it has nothing to do with the gender. It's the risk and the safety of, you know, playing correctly. Yeah, I agree with you when you're saying about the difference, even in like, just male, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cis male, cis male, cis male um, rugby. Um, when like when we got like things like the bigger mm -hmm. cup, even if, if when you look in tier one, the difference in ability from one team to another in that tier is huge. So like for example, we'll we'll go and play against someone like the, the convicts, um, and I remember this one guy. I think he was like semi pro player. Literally, I to the point where in my head I had to make the decision. I'm not going to get him down. I'm just going to have to get in his way. And literally got bounced so hard, my arse was killing for days. I bet after. you went Ooh. Ooh, That's he, a new feeling for you. Yeah. <laughs> he went down. Tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he went down. He went down because purely had just got in his way and he fell over. Uh, and I went flying. But in terms of like um, body mass, muscle, height, everything like that, we couldn't be any more different. Like, I, five foot six little scrum half against huge prop mm -hmm. um no chances i've gonna like it shouldn't in terms of your how you're built that, that's never been an issue in rugby before so why is it becoming an issue now in mm. terms of that just because we've got trans uh, trans women coming in against other women and i know who, you mentioned about the olympics and how that is where it's kind of stemmed from and world rugby has taken a leave out of their book now there is a part of me that kind of understands that if you are like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but if you are in a sport where it is just you, and I know that a lot of countries have been under scrutinism because of uh, performance-related drugs and things like that, that if you are performing on your own, and if you have an enhancement, whether it be drugs or, you know, whether it be your muscle density or your bone density that is putting you at an advantage against others, and I can understand there may be some criticism there, but when you're in a team, and it's not just you, and exactly like just that you've said that in our rugby club, you know, none of us are tall. I mean, I'm the shortest, five and five, but I will quite happily throw myself into scrums and take down guys that are twice my height. But that's just the way that rugby is. But equally, you throw yourself into scrums. Not necessarily. <laughs> but tackles. Like, oh, tackles and rocks and, and all sorts. But like, that's why you I get injured so much because I throw myself. But it's <laughs> well. Don't get me excited. 
<laughs> but it's true, like, I will throw myself into tackles when I probably shouldn't, and I get injured, and that's just the way it is. Like, that's rugby. That's what I've always been mm-hmm. told, that, you know, rugby is a rough sport, but if you do it properly, then you don't get as injured. And so, with this coming out, I don't, un- like James was saying, I don't understand where the kind of, the advantage is if you are like there i'm sure there are many many rugby teams like female rugby teams that if we as a team went against it would be very very competitive because you know to be a rugby player you have to be strong you have to be confident you have to be able to take those tackles and i don't think it matters whether you are six foot built like a brick shit house or whether you are like stick thing as a winger running down the sides there were different positions, like rugby as as all the one thing I love about rugby, especially IGL rugby, is that there is no one size fits all. People say, "Oh, I d- I'm not built for rugby. Oh, I don't have the body for rugby." It's bullshit. Like y- you fit in a certain position. There are different positions, different body weights depending on where you want to be in rugby, and I don't think that trans women would have a problem being in that team. I I, I find it very difficult to understand. I mean, my knowledge of trans women professional players at a very high level is quite limited, but from the male sort of professional international sort of level, you know, point out to me an international rugby union player who is gay, much less a trans man, and there are no regulations around trans men playing Surely they're at more risk because their muscle mass and, and bone density from their genetics is less. You know, mm-hmm. why is it this one particular study that they are wanting to look at changing the Olympic regulations, which they apply to many sports, some of which are singular, some of which are team sports as well? I don't understand it. And, you know, there are articles about there about, you know, uh, the pros for it and the negatives for it, you know, some women's rights groups that you could call TERFs, believe that it's a good thing. And if it is going to introduce safety, then yes. But if you're excluding people purely on the basis that they are transgender, then that is transphobic. And that's completely Mm -hmm. against the inclusion of rugby as a sport. Absolutely. And I feel like we were, you know, we've we've battled for so long in terms of Mm -hmm. equality and in terms of like LGBT and stuff like that. This is almost like a kick in the teeth, like we're going backwards. I think it just highlights that still such a massive need for education in terms of trans rights, what what it means to be trans. Mm Because in terms of like, there's always been an emphasis on gay rugby, bisexual things like there are like groups trans tend to be the one that ha- previously have been left out quite a lot and actually probably bisexual as well bisexual and trans have been two sort of groups that we do sort of get neglected a lot mm-hmm. in terms of the lgbt mm-hmm. um, well, personally um, and queer as and well I think it's one where it just needs more education and it needs this needs like even and world rugby should be reaching out to pieces like the igr people who know this stuff better who, who are managing this stuff on a much more day-to-day basis and rather than just making blanket rules without consulta- without consultation and I think that's what they need like I think this is a very misguided policy mm. and it really needs re- reviewing because I think the uproar that's come from it should be speaking volumes to them see the thing that doesn't sit so, well with me is the fact that women's group are speaking up against 
danger against women within rugby because of trans women having more muscle mass and bone density, therefore more likely to cause injuries, neck injuries and concussions. But in that sense, you're speaking up for women, you're only speaking for cisgendered women, but not actually trans women who are also women. So that, that doesn't sit well with me at all. And secondly, I'm sure within women's rugby, you have varying sizes. You would have mm. the tiny little scrum half, the fast winger, as you all mentioned, and then the brick house who's like a prop. Like, you've got Second different row. sizes in just rugby as a game. Variety of sizes and body shapes and bone density and muscle mass comes with it. That's just how it is. So if you have a trans man who's possibly could be a, you know, a tiny little scrum half or a winger body type, where, where does that protection come from then? Because he's not going to be able to, oh, she's not going to be able to, you know, deck a, you know, a prop and cause neck injury. She, she might very well do, but she won't. You know, it's just that protection doesn't extend to trans women. And I think that's a very discriminating way of protecting women. And you should be protecting all women, not just cisgendered women. Absolutely. And I, and I kind of feel that, you know, that rugby, for me, has always been the flagship, the, the prominent sport that has always put themselves out there in terms of equality. And I, and I feel really saddened that this has happened. But also for this to actually go forward and this report to come out, I kind of feel like, okay, well, if this is true, show me a team that has pioneered or has succeeded because of the trans women in their team. Like, if, if it's such an issue, where are these teams that are winning all the time because they've got yeah, trans women exactly. in their team? Where are they? Like, it, it seems so... Like, if, if, if one team was winning all the time because they are trans women... I can kind of understand where this study might have to go into it and think, is there an advantage there? But there isn't. And there's no team that is predominantly, you know, trans women. They might have one or two, but I, I feel like it's, it's an attack on identity and mm-hmm. equality. And I feel that r- World Rugby really need to kind of have a word with themselves and think, mm-hmm. is this think really worth... It's just not very well, well thought no. well through. I don't think I say this. It sounds like they're saying that I could be wrong, but it doesn't sound like there's been much consultation on it. It does sound like the thought this is a very small population within the rugby community. Does it really matter? That's how it sort of feels a little bit when when you're looking at it. When it actually comes uh, a when very, actually, very big group of even, people within it, our community. Within our community, it is quite it's a quite a big proportion, and you're thinking, um, yeah, so. I think it just needs rethinking and needs to and needs they need to consult and speak like IGR use the IGR as a as a maybe as a body to really support them on that one. Yeah, the the, the IGR has has spoken and individual clubs have mm. as well. Um, and hopefully, you know, all of these people that have stood up and made their voices heard for our transgender brothers and sisters, it will mean that there will be a change to these proposals. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's show. It was great being with the boys again in person, but next week we will be back on air from our own homes with better sound quality, I promise. So make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Rock My Life Podcast. Till next time, I'm Christian John and this is Rock My Life Halftime.